Episode four of Welcome to the Dog Pound, featuring myself, Robbie Nelson, my main man, Mike Hit. Say what's up, Mike. How's it going? And we have two special guests for what is going to be our very Hawkeye-centric podcast. With first, our good friend Bill Christensen. Say what's up, Bill. Hey guys, how's it going? Glad to be here. Yeah, buddy. And. Our other guest, our friend Jeff Cleaver. Say what's up, Jeff. Hey, uh, Rob Dog. Thanks for having me on the podcast. You got it, bud. So, do you have anything else to say, Jeff? I do, actually. <laughs> um, I, uh, I have two critiques on the podcast early on, and if you don't like it, you can edit it out. That's fine. But the theme music, the intro music, is very, um, very interesting. It's... Uh, you know, you guys are a two-person podcasting wolf pack, from how I interpret it. Okay. And, um, you know, it's kind of uh, like a threatening intro. You know, you're, you're going to be putting people in a body bag if they turn their back on you. Is that directed toward <laughs> your listeners if they um, they stop listening to your podcast, they don't listen to the whole thing? Can you I kind agree. of elaborate on your choice <laughs> of intro music? Well, as I'll put, you... I'll put them in a body bag. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Kit, Kit's the only one out of the two of us that's been offered a bodyguard job in our uh, our life. So, um, yeah, Jeff, uh, the, I chose that because, one, there's a howling at the beginning, which I enjoy. Two, I love the NWO Black and Red, as you know. And three, I feel like with it being Welcome to the Dog Pound, we are a wolf pack, so... That's my reasoning. Very nice. Well, let me add, I, I'm really impressed so far. This is episode four, and you guys are doing a great job. It's really difficult to plan out a podcast and execute a podcast weekly, but you guys are pulling it off, and you're doing a great job. So I think of you two as a podcasting wolf pack, so I think it fits. <laughs> All right. Why, well, thank you. And my other, my other comment I want to make before we okay. dive into the Iowa Hawkeye preview is... Um, the podcast is called Welcome to the Dog Pound. Yeah. But there's been a lack of dog-related topics on the podcast so far. <laughs> and I know Bill has a dog named Clyde. I'm sure Clyde's an avid listener of this podcast, isn't he, Bill? Clyde definitely. I, I don't think he's listened to all three of the first ones, but I know he's heard bits and pieces of two. <laughs> and uh, 
he didn't hate it, so that's good. That, that Give is the good. dogs what they want, Rob. <laughs> we need more dog content on this podcast. There's too much dog with one dog on the show. Rob Dog. Well, <laughs> Jeff, you know that I'm always willing to wrestle a fellow dog to keep my supremacy, so bring Clyde on. We can uh, we can wrestle it out. Sounds I good. All right. I don't know what he's doing right now. I can't see him, which makes me a little nervous. Oh man! All right. I so. like Rob's chances in a Clyde versus Rob. Uh, what type of dog is for, it? Uh, podcast supremacy. What type Clyde of dog? Clyde is one hundred percent all bark, no bite. Oh, okay. So, I could I could easily win that as long as but there is. A lot he of might bark. have more endurance than me, though. Yeah, maybe. He's pretty energetic. (laughs) All right. All right. So, um, like I was saying before, this is a Hawkeye-centric podcast. You know, Mike and I are Iowa State football season ticket holders, but we want to keep an unbiased opinion in this podcast and, you know, have one for our many Hawkeye friends. And uh, And we know there's Hawkeye listeners. Yeah, absolutely. And. Both of us have done our homework, but we wanted to make sure that we had two of our friends that we know know a lot about the Hawkeyes, so that's why we have them on. And um, to get started, I I told Jeff I'd write down some just historical facts about the Hawkeyes and read those, so I uh, will get started here. So, the Iowa Hawkeye fo- football program, they're 11-time Big Ten, Big Ten champs, most recently in 2004 when they were co-champs. Um, since they switched to division format, they uh, they won their division in 2015 but did lose the Big Ten title game um, to Michigan State that year. They've been to 31 bowl games overall, including six Rose Bowls, uh, with the 2015 being the most recent one. They've had 67 first-team All-Americans and 31 second-team All-Americans. And they actually had two last year in Josie Jewell and Josh Jackson. They've had one Heisman winner in Niall Kinnick, which the stadium's named after, in 1939. And they've actually had four second-place finishers with Alex Karras in 1957, Randy Duncan in 1958, Chuck Long in 1985, and the most recent one, Brad Banks, 2002. So there's some... Hawkeye uh, football facts for you guys. So, Mike, you want to get us started on our preview? Perfect. Do you guys, uh, do you guys have any history to add to Rob's uh, Hawkeye football? I guess uh, I have one. Sorry, Bill. Um, no, go ahead. Go ahead. So, Rob, you're an NFL draft enthusiast. Absolutely. Can you name how many NFL draft picks iowa has had under kirk ferentz's 20 years or 19 seasons at the at the helm of iowa football i i can't tell you a number but i know that it's one of the highest overall during that time span of any school 66 hawkeyes drafted since the 2000 draft which is which is nuts to think about but i think it's you know kirk's former nfl uh experience and the fact that they have such technically sound linemen um, really helps those guys, you know, hang around in the league. There are definitely positions that Iowa puts players in the NFL more so than other positions. And offense and defensive line, tight end, those are the those are the predominant ones. Not to mention defensive backs. Phil Parker, excellent defensive backs coach, and 
you routinely see defensive backs like Desmond King, Micah Hyde, Sean Constein, um making the NFL and making an impact in the NFL. So, um, yeah, Kirk Ferentz's pedigree from the NFL days definitely carries over into his program, and you see that, you see that year after year. Yeah, I agree. Anything from you, Bill? That Kirk Ferentz has been at Iowa for 20 years, like to, in today's day and age in college football, where if you, you know, what have you done for me lately? And he's had good seasons like 2015, and he's had bad seasons like 2011, where, you know, the fan base is crying for uh, to fire him and everything else, and then he comes back the next couple of years with good seasons. And it, it shows a lot about Iowa as an institution and and giving guys chances and letting them letting them work through, uh, you know, the tough times. And not only Kirk being around for 20 years, but the 20 years before that was one coach and Hayden Fry. Yeah. So not only is it unique to have Kirk for the last 20, but to only have two coaches in the last 40, uh, that's pretty cool, I think. It's really a special, you know, spe- a special pride to hold your hat on that, that you don't have the turnover like a lot of the other programs do. Yeah. And that's part of what's great about Iowa football. And some of my most vivid sports memories growing up and even into adulthood have been regarding Kirk Ferentz-led Iowa football teams. And part of what I like about it is the fact that they can surprise you and you're just in awe certain seasons where, yeah, we have the frustrating years, like Bill mentioned, where you don't you have really high expectations with some really key returnees from a previous season and they let you down. There was, we had that back in the Drew Tate era after the Big Ten title season of 2004. Yep. Had it happen again in the next decade. Um, but then there's those moments where you're just kind of shocked. Like 2002, I still remember when they beat Michigan in the big house. Oh, when man. I think 8-1. and one, And you knew then they were a contender for the Big Ten title. And nobody saw. Yep. They, they, could, they thought Iowa had a chance. But winning 34-9 or however, whatever the score was, that was a, that was a stunner. Another stunner was 2015, the 12-0 season. Zero people knew that was coming. We thought we'd see improvement if you were really close to the program and kind of heard some rumblings from camp. But when C.J. Beathard got hurt, I think Kanzeri got hurt in the Northwestern game, Drew Rott tore his ACL, and you yep. didn't really know who they're going to throw out on the field, and they whipped Northwestern. That was, uh, that that was, was one kind of the shocking that. moments. Yeah, that was Akram Wadley's coming out party. I it remember was. that watching that game at my parents house and like jeff said everybody's hurt and then this young skinny little running back comes in and just goes crazy that was fun yeah awesome so you know we'll kind of kick off our preview here um i think first we're going to start you know kind of discussion on uh position groups just to kind of you know start it out you know see see you know what your thoughts are uh, originally, so uh, first we're going to start out with the quarterback position. I know Nate Stanley's returning. He has some, mm-hmm. you know, size and arm to be a, you know, a Big Ten caliber quarterback or all Big Ten caliber quarterback. So, you know, you know, what's your thoughts on, you know, Nate Stanley going into the season? Is he going to, you know, improve on it or, you know, at that point? Go ahead, Bill. Okay. Uh... The first thing I want to say about Nate Stanley is that Kirk Ferentz took him to Big Ten Media Days this summer 
in Chicago. And uh, in the 20 years that Kirk's been here, or in Iowa City, he uh, it's always seniors, like team leaders, been there for a long time, good reputations, all this stuff. And he took a, a junior in Nate Stanley to Chicago, which uh, Nate Stanley is only the second junior that he's taken, and he's the first true junior. So football, you know, touchdowns to interceptions, all this stuff, throwing it passing yards aside, that shows that Kirk Ferentz thinks a ton of Nate Stanley taking a third-year junior to represent the team in Chicago after the season he had. So he had a great year statistically last year, I think 26 touchdowns and six interceptions or something like that. I feel like a very quiet – 26 touchdowns like, yeah people and, and that's gonna be hard to do it that, that's like one of the best uh statistical seasons an iowa quarterback has had yeah and to replicate that is gonna be tough but he could i think he could do it what do you think jeff yeah i think there's a lot less uncertainty going into this season compared to last you know they're replacing bethard last year we knew Stanley was a guy Iowa thought highly of. They pulled his red shirt two seasons ago. And once he got him out in the field, you're like, okay, this guy has potential. You could see there was some rough roughness around the edges with him. But when I heard Iowa hired Ken O'Keefe back to be the offensive uh, um, quarterback's coach and offensive assistant to Brian Ferentz, I felt pretty confident because Kirk Ken O'Keefe's always had a good history of developing quarterbacks when he was the O coordinator earlier on in his tenure. Um, and really for Nate Stanley to make the progression in 2018, there's an emphasis on, so he's got some experience back with the tight ends receivers, right? His completion percentage needs to get better. He's been, been efficient, hasn't made the mistakes, check down, checks down and needs to check down, but that completion percentage is around 55.8%. If they can get it up around 60, I think you can even see more progression from Stanley in, uh, in 2018, but I'm definitely bullish on him. I've uh, been impressed so far and I think, yeah. I think they've got a steady leader at the helm at quarterback. Yeah, I would, I'd absolutely agree with that. You know, it's he's got the caliber and the arm to, you know, be very NFL talent ready. So um, kind of their backups is do you guys see the true freshman taking the back, uh, the backup spot uh, over Manziel, Petrus? We can go with Bill first. Okay, yeah. Um, that's that is. Uh, definite question mark in the two deeps or the roster. Um, if God forbid Nate Stanley goes down this year, that's going to have a huge impact on the team because you know you've got a a like Kit said, a all, potential All Big Ten caliber quarterback leading the team. Everybody respects him. They know he can do it. Five touchdowns against Ohio State last year. You know, he's been in big moments, leading Iowa in a comeback win at Jack Trice, which is a it, when he's a, you know, second game as a sophomore. That's a huge thing. And if he goes down like Ricky Stanzi did, you know, in 2009, uh, I don't know what's going to happen, really. Whether it is Manziel or it, it's a true freshman, Spencer Petrus, I don't think uh, – Either one probably is going to be the <laughs> ideal situation for Iowa. Yeah, Iowa fans, lower your expectations if Nate Stanley has a season-ending injury. But 
Um, the good news with Petrus is that uh, he was on campus last spring, so they've kind of got a they've kind of got a, um, a uh, early helps. start with him in regards to the rest of the freshman class. But um, you'll, they'll find out a lot more here in camp who's the true number two, and they'll be sifting through those two quarterbacks in competition, so they have a contingency plan just in case Stanley does go down. And that reminds me with Stansy getting hurt in the Northwestern game back in 2009. That one was a tough pill to swallow. If you talk about tough pills for Iowa fans to swallow, that was that naked bootleg against Northwestern in 09 when Corey Wooten, I think it was, um, hurt Stansy, broke his ankle. We had to throw James Vandenberg in there. And that just ruined a 9-0 season. Um, it didn't ruin it. There was still a lot to be had. But, uh, yeah, thanks for bringing back that memory, Bill. <laughs> yeah, I was at Iowa when that happened and that was a huge campus like balloon deflating moment at, you know we had a rolling nine and oh and i actually had a class with stanzi and the teacher brought it up like in december about him breaking his ankle against northwestern and it was a really awkward moment in class because the i don't know how many people were in there 50 or 60 maybe in and you could tell Stansy wanted nothing to do with talking about that. And it was just a really awkward moment. And But it was a huge bummer for, for Hawkeye Nation, for you, sure. You could cut the tension with a knife in that room, I bet. <laughs> yeah, he was like, he turned red and was kind of looking around like, what the heck is going on? <laughs> like, who <Yeah>. asks that? <laughs> and it was weird. Yeah, I remember the next week. And this is another testament to uh, Ken O'Keefe's ability to develop quarterbacks and Iowa's coaching staff in general on how to game plan. They went to Ohio State to the horseshoe the next week. The oh, winner yeah. took the share of the Big Ten title, and Iowa lost in overtime. Iowa fans know that whole story. Yep. But James Vandenberg played really well, and that was probably peak Vandenberg during his That's career at Iowa, was <laughs> yep. that game. I remember listening to Sound Off afterwards with, uh, on the radio with, when Zobel was still doing it, and Jim Zobel had anointed James Vandenberg as the next big thing. And everybody, you know, similar to when Drew Tate came on the scene, everybody thought Vandenberg was going to be the the the, cho- the next star quarterback at Iowa. And it didn't pan out. There was reasons for that. But, um, yeah, it's uh, definitely Stanley has a chance to go down as uh, one of the top quarterbacks that Iowa's had under Ferentz. He's, he's shown it so far with an impressive first year and hopefully um, another impressive year to come. And it is one of those things that, the fan base always loves the backup quarterback or the backup tall guy on the team. So it's the first thing happens They're you know, they're anointing that guy is the, the next best thing. So one of my questions that I have here for you is, so if Stanley, you know, does he regress in his junior campaign, you know, without the the safety net talent like Akram Wadley, you know, and behind an O-line that, you know, might be talented on the edges, but it might be young, uh, young on the edges, I should say, but their interior line, you know, really needs to probably mesh together. You know, do you see any regression there possibly because of those items? Go ahead, Jeff. I mean, I guess it could happen. We don't know. Um, one positive for Iowa fans to dwell on is the receiving core is more experienced, and they are getting some more depth and athleticism at that position. I'm not worried about the running back position. Yeah, they lose Wadley, but Young and Kelly Martin, they've proven they can be capable backs. And, 
Yeah, they do need to figure out the interior line. Um, Keegan Render, he'll be a staple there at center. You've got Eric Jackson and um, Tristan Wirfs at tackle. They will uh, be steady anchors on the outside protecting Stanley. But, uh, you know, one thing Kirk Ferentz has proven over time is that they can get the offensive line figured out. So there has been a lot of regression under um, in the past. It's not uncommon for quarterbacks to have a stellar first year and then regress their following year. Drew Tate would be the classic example. Uh, Vandenberg, it was... Stanzi, too. He, he, yeah, Stanzi's... In 2010. Was, but Stanzi still won games. Yeah, yeah. 2010, he... Uh, yeah, that team did kind of fall apart. And yeah. we could do a whole podcast on that <laughs> Wisconsin game in 2010 and how yeah. that changed the course of Iowa football for a good four to five years. But uh, um, now, Kit, I guess we'll wait and see. That's one of the nice things about uh, sports is... Uh, sometimes the unexpected happens and, and sometimes the unexpected isn't good. So um, going into the season, there's always a lot of optimism. And I, I think Stanley's given, given us reason to see, uh, um, to see more good things from him in 2018. Great answer, Jeff. So uh, do you have anything to add to that bill or do you want to move on um, to the offensive line? Just, just to kind of echo what Jeff said, I think a lot of it just depends on the offensive line. The running backs will be good. They always are in Iowa City. They're not, you know, every once in a while you get a Sean Green who, uh, you know, Heisman, getting Heisman votes or whatever and uh, postseason awards for running backs. But Iowa never, except for the, I can't remember what year it was with Drew Tate when Sam Brownlee was the running back. (laughs) He basically went to a school like ours. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but aside from that year, Iowa always has very capable running backs. And I think if the offensive line can give Stanley adequate time to throw, I think he'll have a really good year. Awesome. Thanks, Bill. So now we're going to kind of, you know, move on the offensive line. And, you know, we kind of touched on it in the last question, you know, with uh, Stanley being behind this group. But, you know, you know, like I said, yeah, Jeff – you said that uh, Worse and Jackson, you know, they're talented on the outside, but, you know, they may have some, you know, little bit of inex experience, uh, you know, in Big Ten football. They had some starts last year. I know they had a few injuries. Um, you know, their interior line may be talented, uh, but they're an older group, or not as talented, I should say, but they're, you know, an older group that have spent their time in the program, you know, you know, kind of – would you like to elaborate a little bit more on the offensive line, Jeff? Yeah, sorry, I just got I got distracted. I'm watching this Phil Mickelson commercial of him, him dancing around in this dancing one, dress yeah. shirt. <laughs> yeah, is, yeah is if you that... haven't checked it out yet, uh, give it give it a give it a view. Uh, <laughs> yeah, about the offensive line. Um, uh, yeah, the the tackles I'm not worried about. Like you said, they they played last year, and uh, um, one one position Kirk Ferentz has always seemed to get productivity out of is the tackle. Can you name the last time Iowa's had a tackle that really underachieved? That's a great question. I don't know if it's I can It's been a while. It. Yeah. They can throw guys like Boone Myers and Ike Butker out there and be productive at tackle. And uh, <laughs> the guards, the names to watch would be uh, on the two deep right now. Let's pop that one up and see who they've got. Uh, Ross Reynolds, he's played a little bit last year. He's a senior. Um, Levi Paulson's probably the one that'll settle in there. He's been injured in spring camp, and I don't know what his health status is now, but he's played, um, even in his redshirt freshman year, he was a substitute guard that would come in for injured linemen, and uh, uh, the coaches 
must be pretty high on him. He seems like he's always popping up on the depth chart. Now, an under-the-radar guy, though, um, would be the Cole, Cole bon, Banwart. Um, I don't know much about Cole Banwart because I can't recall him playing significant stamps at, snaps at Iowa, but he's, uh, he's been listed as a backup center, backup guard. He could be one guy you would uh, you'd throw in there. Um, and another one is a redshirt freshman from Bettendorf named Mark Kallenberger. Kallenberger seems like a guy that keeps getting tossed out there as people to watch at camp and people that look good at spring practice. And he's a freshman, right? So he may not start out in that type of a role, but injuries happen. Or if they do have inconsistency at guard, you could see Kallenberger. He may even play at tackle the opening game with Werps suspended. But um, there'll be a lot of different combinations tested out in spring practice. There always is. And the there's a, the Ferentz family, they're, they're very – offensive line focus so i would imagine uh i would imagine they might not have it worked out in september but by october november you'll see some you'll see some improvements and hopefully they've got their line back into um into good form bill uh yeah i'm just looking at the two deep also right now and you've got Werfs and jackson the sophomore tackles and then you lost a great center last year, James Daniels, to the NFL, leaving after his third year. But the three interior offensive linemen on the two deep are a redshirt senior, a redshirt senior, and a redshirt junior. So that's 14 years of combined Iowa Hawkeye experience. So if nothing else, you just know that Kirk and Brian Ferentz are going to have them you know, those four guys or three guys have been taught up as well as anybody uh, in the Iowa football program just because they've been there forever. So you almost have to assume that they're going to be competent offensive linemen. And just one more little fun fact, uh, Levi and Landon Paulson, the Paulson twins, uh, were taught high school band by our friend Luke Peterson. That's oh, right. yeah. Yep. <laughs> That's funny. So would you guys typically say that a lot of the Hawkeye season usually hangs on their offensive line and how they're going? No doubt. Yeah, it's uh, it's the offensive line. If they're good, then they create holes for even average running backs to make average running backs look good, and they give average quarterbacks time to you know make throws to traditionally Iowa has, you know, best case average receivers yeah. and really good tight ends but not stellar wideouts but a good offensive line can cure or not cure but uh mask a lot of deficiencies yep. well said bill the uh yeah the the best iowa teams usually have good offensive lines and solid defensive lines with a good pass rush um but one more comment on the offensive line and we can move off of that if you're ready kit is don't underestimate the loss of James Daniels. We just can't replace a, a center like that. He's one of the more athletic centers Iowa's had, one of the more athletic offensive linemen Iowa's had. But Render, he's a senior. He'll fill in well, and um, they always seem to plug in gaps. We just don't we don't know yet. There's uncertainty. You have to have new guys come in, and uh, and, and I'm sure they'll figure it out. And they got a lot of Iowa kids on that up front offensive line, too. Yeah, they they always home grow their linemen. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, they do a good job of that. So, real quick, would you guys say that this group uh, – so, last year, Iowa had 25 sacks on Stanley. Do you think this group can increase that number and keep it lower? 
go with Jeff. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah Jeff. Or Bill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I think, like Jeff said, the loss of, of uh, James Daniels is going to be significant, at least in the early part of the year. Yeah, I think it could be, yeah, really tough to, to, I I should say, you know, with this group, it should be easier to keep them, you know, at that point. So well, and but I mean, Kirk did say that James Daniels is probably one of the most athletically gifted and best linemen he's ever had. Which, you know, with the tradition they've had on the line, that's some pretty high praise, I think. Yeah. Especially coming from Kirk, yeah, because he doesn't just toss that stuff out. <laughs> exactly, he's the he, he knows going to Rob's main man Teddy Roosevelt. He kind of speaks softly and carries a big <laughs> stick. Yeah, he, <laughs> he, he knows talent at the offensive line and usually at running back. Those are the the two positions he can usually find. So. Yeah. Do we uh, lose you, Jeff? Nah, sorry, I was on oh, mute. There we go. <laughs> And I didn't figure it out until I tried to inter- interject into the conversation and, <laughs> and, and you guys didn't catch up on it. But uh, Iowa does have good tackles. I'll add that last point is Wirfs and Jackson are both 320-pound athletic tackles. And if you're looking at rushers off the edge that could disrupt Stanley in the pocket, I feel pretty confident with those two guys staying healthy that uh, at least they can keep Stanzi, or not Stanzi, Stanley off the, uh, off the ground. Gotcha. Perfect. So the next group we're going to move to, we're just going to combine them, are kind of the wide receiver and tight end group. Uh, so, you know, some of the notes I have are, you know, I would, do you think the tight end position is probably the strongest group on Iowa's team this year? Yes, I do. Yeah, that's because that's some of the notes I put down was, I think actually TJ Hutchinson uh, is probably more of your typical, yeah, probably more of your uh, typical Iowa tight end and fan is probably the more NFL caliber pass catcher. Oh They're yeah, he's good. in the NFL. Yeah, so I mean, that's kind of you know my thoughts on their tight end group. I mean, even get deeper into their 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 positions always solid. They put athletic tight ends out there. Um, you know, you guys can jump in and, and talk about that position. Go for it, Bill. Um, yeah, looking at the two deeps again. You've got Noah Fant, Jr. from Omaha, obvious, like, definite NFL talent, probably leaving after this year. I think everybody kind of is assuming that right now, unless something weird happens. Agreed. Uh, Hawkinson, redshirt sophomore, but proved last year he's he can do, you know, whatever the coach has asked of him. And then behind him on the depth chart is Nate Whiting. He's a redshirt junior. And he's had some big moments and, you know, caught some touchdown passes. So they have three very capable tight ends and probably two future NFL players. And uh, that just sort of has become a staple of the Kirk Ferentz teams. You have, it seems like every three or four years, they're pumping a, a tight end into the NFL. Noah Fant, 11 touchdowns last year. That was nearly half of Stanley's TD passes were thrown <laughs> to Fant. So when Fant catches a ball, big plays happen. And there's no reason to expect he won't have another big season this year. I agree. You, you think this uh, tight end group can take some of the uh, some of the pressure off the receivers to exploit mismasters and on the outside and stuff? No, I think that uh, having good tight ends is going to open up opportunities for receivers, especially if 
def- defenses, opposing defenses, devote two defenders to Fant. He stretches a field. That opens up Smith-Marset easily, Brandon Smith on the outside. I think we'll see growth from the receiving position um, this year, and part of that's due to the fact that we will garner so much attention from the opposing defenses toward the tight ends. But, um, yeah, you know, it's – you're going to – we've heard the offense – is farther ahead leaving spring practice than it typically is. So um, the tight end group will be solid. You'd, you'd expect growth out of the receiver position too. So um, no, I think uh, I think I think if anything, it opens up opportunities for the receivers, and I think there'll be growth from the receiving core. If you look back to last year, you really don't know who you're going to throw the ball to at the receiver. You had Vandenberg, and that was it. Nick yep. Easley was new. Smith Mar- you didn't even know which true freshman were going to play. It ended up being Smith Marset, Brandon Smith. And they'll probably bring new guys in. I think we'll get to that later in the podcast as far as which newcomers will contribute to, uh, mm. to the football team this season. Any thoughts from you, Bill? Yeah, I agree with Jeff. I think uh, you almost have to assume Noah Fant is going to be double teamed in most passing situations or at least have one guy on him and one guy close. And then Iowa goes two tight ends a lot. So Hawkinson, he's going to have the same situation and it's 11 on 11. So you can only, you know, the defense only has 11 guys. And if three of those 11 are devoted to your tight ends only, that's going to open up something else, whether it's a running back out of the backfield, whether it's, you know, uh, one of the wideouts, and uh, personally, I'm really looking forward to Brandon Smith. Uh, he's a like a six three, athletic track star wideout from Mississippi, and that's a body style. and And uh, Mississippi isn't a place where Iowa gets a lot of players in a body style that Iowa doesn't get a lot of receivers with that. So. And everything coming out of, of spring and summer camp is that he's made leaps and bounds. So I, it could be a fun year. I don't know. We'll see. If, Iowa's if, receivers are never great, so <laughs> you just don't know. If Nate Stanley is the most important player on the Hawkeye offense, Brandon Smith could be one of the more important players behind Stanley because his development can really cap or help help the Iowa offense exceed expectations because he's going to be your deep threat on the outside. Nick Easley is going to be more of the possession type receiver. Smith-Marset can stretch the field too, but they use him a lot of shorter routes, it seems like. So, yeah, it'd be if you see progression out of Brandon Smith, good things can happen for Iowa this uh, on the offensive side in, in, in 2018. Yeah, Brandon Smith was the – whatever his senior year of high school was. He's a sophomore, so like 2000. 15 or 16, he was the state champion high jumper in Mississippi. So he, even if he's not open and yeah. and Stanley is under pressure, he's got the ability to just throw it up to Smith and he can go, go and get it. it and make some plays downfield, you hope. And I, I made this note, you know, earlier in the day, you know, I thought to myself, I think this group's going to need 110 catches just out of their wide receiver group. I mean, not counting the tight ends or the running backs just to, you know, help take some of the pressure off of the tight end and running back position making catches as well. And we've been talking about making plays in the receiving game on this podcast, right? But Kirk Ferentz's offense, first and foremost, is ball control. He's going to want to run the ball. He's going to keep running the ball, especially when he has the lead and hopefully – 
by the end of the game, the defense will get tired of tackling the running back. But yeah, the offense can really make the, uh, the receiving game can make the offense more unpredictable. And one thing it seems like Brian Ferentz is more focused on than Greg Davis certainly was. And even O'Keefe was being more unpredictable on offense, but showing different formations, different sets and trying to confuse the defense past Iowa offenses got a little dull and predictable to say the least. And, uh, if you can say nothing else from Brian Ferentz's first year as offensive coordinator, it's that he had his ups and his downs, but some of the potential, some of the good things that came out of that, you look at Ohio State, even the Iowa State game, that was his second game calling plays, and it was a tough environment out there in Ames, and he had to he had to make some tough calls and some pretty dire straits, and, uh, and with a young calf, nonetheless, and... Uh, um, he, he did a pretty good job, so I, I don't I don't know how I, how many how many catches the receiving core will have, but hopefully, if uh, the Iowa offense is clicking, they don't have to throw the ball a whole lot. Yeah, yeah, this is true. So moving kind of into the running back position, it, it's kind of a two man race, right? With uh, Torn Young, uh, yeah, Torn Young and Ivory Kelly Martin, probably. Uh, and they're probably going to go, you know, depending upon their interior line together with Reynolds, Render, and Paulson. If those those threes, those three are clicking, the the offensive line could be really pushing some holes out there for them. What do you think of that, Jeff? Yeah, I think uh, I think those are the two lead running backs, and you'll probably see balance out of them, similar to Lashawn Daniels and Jordan Kanzeri a few years ago, and. You've kind of got your power back young and more of your, I would call him a dual threat running back. Kelly Martin can catch balls out of the backfield. He's, he's similar to Wadley, maybe not as, as good of an athlete as Wadley was by the time he left Iowa. But Kelly Martin's, um, I'm excited to see how he, um, how he performs this year. He's been a player that looked good coming out of high school, had really impressive high school film out of Chicago. Um, yeah, I think he could definitely be a weapon. And I think you'll see true freshmen. There's a couple true freshmen coming in that uh, that could garner some playing time in addition to uh, Sargent from uh, Iowa Western. It's a Juco running back they added added this summer. I don't think you'll see a whole lot of him early. He's new to the program. But you'll see the true freshmen. You'll see Sargent potentially um, carry, carry, take some of the load off of Young and, and Ivory Kelly Martin throughout the season. But um, definitely two prototypical Iowa running backs, and uh, Young the bruiser, and Kelly Martin the maybe the more of a slasher, um, athletic type. Yeah. What do you think on that, Bill? Yeah, pretty much a ditto to all of that. You've got a little bit of lightning with Ivory Kelly Martin, and a little bit of thunder with Torn Young, and it's going to be very, very plug and play with the running backs this year at Iowa. It's, you know, just going to look pretty much like different jersey numbers but same results <laughs> gotcha. so yeah i mean i you know i would say that you know like you said jeff they're going to need some catches out of the backfield from kelly martin to you know really open up the field for the run game but yeah i, I could definitely see the the group really taking off so we're going to move on to the defensive line and you know, with this group, I would say the defensive line is probably the the shining star of the defense. I mean, you got three brick ends and 
uh, Espinosa, Hesse, uh, Hazy, and <laughs> you're really uh, screwing up the names there, Kit. Oh yeah, and uh, Nelson, Park, Parker, Hesse, and AJ Epinesa. Yep, and Nelson. In Kit's defense, he's not even close to the first person to mess up Epinesa's name. <laughs> yeah, that one's a tough one. That's tough. But they're they're really solid uh, brick ends out there. You know the questions might be on the defensive line uh, a little bit with their interior with some injuries and um, are they they're they're trying to move some people around to you know fill some voids in there. Um, I think I heard that Sam Brinks might be moving down to work on some D tackle just to give them some pat, uh, patching spots there. Yeah, before we dive into this year's defensive line, I have a question for the three of you. Who is your favorite aisle of lineman of the oh. Kirk Ferentz era? Wow. I don't know. Matt Roth, he was fun. He had some attitude. You stole my answer there, Brett. Um, <laughs> that's my, uh, my my guy, too. He always wore a tight jersey because the, uh, the opposing offensive line would always try to hold him, so... Norm Parker thought, well, let's throw a tight jersey on, on Matt Roth, and they might not call, call holding. <laughs> I liked uh, Jonathan Babineau. Yeah, NFL guy. Yeah. Dan Gable. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> hey, I got to stick to uh, my Cyclone alum that turned to a Hawkeye, so I'll stick to Dan Gable. <laughs> his, his favorite Hawkeye. I can claim him, right? Half. Half of Sure it. can. Oh. <laughs> Don't you guys think, um, you know, back to the defensive line this year, I mean, it. I think it's pretty talented. Like, you know, I, I still think this is probably one of their better position groups, don't you? I uh, was listening to a podcast, uh, Hawkeye Report, last week. And they rank the units, you know, the offensive, de- offensive and defensive units. And they said the D-line is easily the best all-around unit on the team. And just looking at the two deeps, you can – two juniors, two seniors starting. And then you've got A.J. Epinesa still – you know, a lot of people thought he could or should start as a true freshman That's just right, yeah. because of his physical talents. And Was he a five-star? I I don't know, Jeff. Do you know, Jeff? I think he's four or five. He, yeah, I think he was a five-star. Yeah, he was I one of the so. yeah, highest-rated recruits Kirk Ferentz has gotten to come to Iowa. Yeah, yeah and he's still not li- – you know, he'll play plenty, but he still isn't listed as a starter, which says, you know, they've got some dogs ahead of him. Yeah, they have a deep group there. Anthony Nelson and Epinesa can get after the quarterback, and they can hold their own in the run game. Hesse, too. Hesse's the – uh, he's a four-year starter. He started as a redshirt freshman back on the 2015 team. and uh, He's another yeah, Ferris Media Day guy. There you go. Yeah, he was, <laughs> along with Matt Nelson, who's playing on the inside. And uh, um, Yeah, Brinks, he's, he's, uh, he'll add some depth. And, uh, and if you need a position to be deep at, defensive line is probably an important one to have, have depth because you're always rotating, rotating players in. Is uh, Nelson still coming off an injury? Is that correct? Uh, the the interior lineman, Matt, Matt Nelson. Yeah. Um, I he he was injured during spring. I think he's back for 
practice now. And speaking of which, we're doing this podcast on a Sunday. Spring practice or fall practice at Iowa just started last Friday. So we'll find out bits and pieces of information as we get closer to yeah. season about uh, about people get banged up. People hopefully get healthy that were injured during the spring. But yeah, Nelson, I think I, he was at the media day too. And uh, yeah, I haven't heard anything too concerning regarding his injuries. So do you do you think the interior uh, group of this, uh, the interior group of the defensive line can really take some pressure off of the rebuilding linebacker crew that you know, you know losing an All American and a lot of their starters. I think they lost four, you know, upperclassmen this past off season. Do you think that group can really take some pressure off of the linebacking crew? Yeah, they're gonna have to. Uh, in that uh, Hawkeye Report podcast, they had the defensive line as the best unit, and they have the linebackers as the worst. And just like the offensive line taking pressure off the entire offense, the defensive line, if they can just use those front four to create havoc in the backfield, um, that can take a ton of pressure off the the young, new linebackers and the secondary, you know, create pressure on the quarterback with just using just four guys you've still got seven back covering the covering the receivers and tight ends and everything yeah i like the defensive line coach reese morgan he seems like he's always whatever position he coaches he used to be offensive line now it's defensive line he's always gotten good results um one guy to watch on the defensive line and he's a bit undersized and he's playing inside is chauncey golston um high school teammate of fellow defensive tackle cedric Lattimore. Um, Golston could be a type of uh, um, undersized Mitch King type um, uh, Carl Klug type defensive tackle that they can oh, yeah. stunt and get pressure on the quarterback uh, via his quickness yeah so moving on to that you know the linebacker crew like you said there Bill it was you know something that was probably the biggest concern you know for the Hawkeyes this season they you know they have some young talent coming up with like Nick Neiman uh Neiman uh you know Welch men's or probably the other two that might be the starter but Uh, you did lose an all-american there you know yeah yeah I mean what what's the thoughts on you know can this crew really you know take a team you know if they're mediocre they might be 500 but can this group excel and really take them to a nine or 10 win season? Uh, you know, um, a quick note, Aaron men's, he's uh, actually up for the season or they, they, he's hoping to come back later in the season. He uh, tore his ACL in spring practice. So oh, he was going to be in the mix at the weak side linebacker position. Um, yeah. And it looks like it'll be Welch on the uh, weak side. You'll have Amani Jones is a guy who's been on special teams the last few seasons and mm-hmm. made an impact making plays. Um, the folks close to the Hawkeye program that talk about it on on uh, on message boards and other forms of media they they seem pretty intrigued by um, Amani Jones. There's some Abdul Hodge comparisons there that make fans like me really excited about uh, about Amani. Um, the young Neiman, Nick Neiman, he's uh, sounds like he's the guy tab to fill in um, fill in at Ben Neiman's spot and. You know, you got to get your feet wet at some time, right? If you would have told me last year that Josh Jackson would have left the, um, we're we're talking different positions, but it all yeah. applies to um, applies to newcomers in in new roles. 
if you'd have told me last year Josh Jackson would have filled in as a first-year starter, been a Jim Thorpe finalist, then left early to go to the NFL and get drafted by Green Bay in the second round, I would have said you're crazy. But it happened. Yep. Um, and this happened a few years ago. You lose Hitchens, Kirksey, James Morris, and eventually you find new guys. Yeah, there's some growing pains early with new people and inexperienced players and new roles, but eventually they figured out. And one advantage Iowa has at linebacker is there's numbers there. We've rattled off the three guys starting. They've all been playing special teams the past few seasons, so they've got some experience being on the field. And there's some young freshmen that registered last year, like Colbert, um, Barrington Wade, a veteran who's had some injury problems, Jack Hockaday. He, uh, he was a guy really early on in his career they thought was going to play, and he just couldn't get over the injury bug, but um, still, a, still a guy that can provide some depth. And um, if nothing else, there are some true freshmen coming on that they've recruited linebacker pretty heavily the past few seasons to fill those voids that were left when uh, – left when Jewel and Bauer and Neiman left for um, after their senior season. Yeah. And like so, you, yeah, it's an important position, no doubt. Yeah, and like you said, though, it, it could be something where it takes five or six games kind of for them to all mesh together. So, you know, they could be rotating a lot of guys in and out of there just to try to find the, the three best guys possibly. Yeah, that's been typical with Iowa teams is they don't look so sharp in September. They're trying to figure things out and – the good Iowa teams get progressively better as the season goes on and look a lot different during the second half of Big Ten season than they did the first four games in the non-conference, three games in the non-conference now. They're trying to find their way. No doubt. No doubt. Do, do you feel like this te- uh, this group of linebackers can really help this team excel there, Bill? Yeah, I, I there's definitely potential to be good. Uh, hopefully the defensive line takes a little pressure off of them. Uh, in an Iowa scheme, the outside linebackers are cover, you know, defensive covering positions. So you just hope that they've got some speed and athleticism and length on those outside linebackers. Otherwise, teams with good receiving core and good tight ends can cause problems. Yeah, yeah great, great comments, so. We're going to probably move on to the the defensive back group. And, you know, kind of the notes I had written down were I don't think any group on Iowa's team probably changed in the last month more than their defensive backfield. Uh, You had some, you know, transfers, you know, leaving, you know, into the program. The the coaches probably really knew about, you know, them leaving earlier. But, you know, to a fan's eye, it's probably what's really changed. But – you know, they're going to have some safeties in the back with uh, Jervis and uh, Hooker. You know, ultimately, you know, the the corners are probably going to be some guys that have got some playing time. But, you know, can one of them really turn into, a, you know, a shut down corner like the, Hawk has ha- the Hawks have had the past few years with uh, King and uh, Josh Jackson? Josh Jackson. You know, you know, it's going to be something that – they really got to be able to, you know, especially with the linebacking crew not being, you know, as solid, you know, the safeties might have to be more, you know, covering the run and helping up at that point. Yeah, the, covering the, the corners might be have to really be solid on the outside. Right, and after just losing one in Manny Ragamba, yep. he uh, last summer was kind of pegged to be the next Desmond King. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, he I don't know 
what happened really if he just wasn't that good or if bad attitude or whatever else you know there's a reason he transferred but he it didn't pan out with him I know that the coaches and everybody are pretty high on Matt Hankins sophomore corner and Michael Ojemudi on the other side's got playing experience and Jake Gervas at free safety has playing experience he played last year had I think three or four interceptions and I think the best player in the defensive backfield is Imani Hooker, and he's just a, a ball hawk, hard-hitting, run-stopping, <clears throat> and, and he can defend the pass, too. He's got potential, I think, to play on Sundays, maybe after next year. Bill, you hit the nail on the head with Imani Hooker. He's one of my favorite players on the defense, and he might be the best player on the defense. He's always around the football. You saw him with that pick six against Ohio State last year, and he's he got dinged, dinged up late in the season, but he definitely made enough plays, and he, he came on, and um, he was the talk of spring ball. Uh, he, had a, he was making plays during the spring scrimmage at the um, Kinnick Stadium at the end of the year, um, last April. So definitely a player I'm excited about. Um, another guy that you didn't mention but could be in a little position battle at cornerback is Trey Creamer. He's a redshirt freshman from Georgia, an area I'm very excited about Iowa recruiting um, recently. They've made more of a, an impact or a presence down there, pulling players from the southeast. Um, and Creamer's one of those guys that maybe, I don't know, maybe that's one of the reasons Ragumba transferred. There's a few young guys coming up, passing him up on the depth chart. So um, I think that they're going to need more than two corners. They need to play nickel here against the teams that run – um, spread wide receiver sets. So Creamer may be a guy that gets a lot of playing time. And the uh, Ojemudia wasn't wasn't pretty at some times last year, but uh, they're going to need him to come up big this year for for them to yeah for them to have a good season. But um, huge Amani Hooker fan. Couldn't agree with you more there, Bill. Uh, another just quick note about the corners. Uh, true freshman DJ Johnson was given jersey number 15, which Josh Jackson had before him and Desmond King had before him. Mm -hmm. So if there's anything there, you know, the coaches think that he's got a chance to be a really good player. Gotcha. So that kind of, you know, goes over, you know, most of the position groups. Is there, you know, do you see any, you know, freshmen or true freshmen, redshirt freshmen or true freshmen really hitting the field that could – make some immediate impacts. I know Jeff had mentioned like the running back position, but do you see any others and uh, special teams or anything like that? Well, the, the typically the, the true freshmen you see making impacts are on special teams. Last year was kind of an exception though. The farther away from the football you are, um, that's always been the line receivers and the defensive backs farther away from the football at the uh, snap, they're the mo ones most likely to see the field. So I think you'll see receivers and running backs get some, get some play. And I understand there's a new rule regarding red shirts in college football, where Correct. you can play true freshmen up to four games before deciding to keep their red shirt or pull it. So that may, may impact the, uh, um, how Iowa chooses to utilize their true freshmen coming in. And Ferris has typically been a guy to play true freshman. So, um, yeah, I'd say on the offensive side, Tyrone Tracy, he's a slot receiver. Samson Evans, he's kind of a receiver running back. Sounds like he's going to start out at running back, but he's played quarterback in high school. He's a 
I like to think of him as an Ed Hinkle type athlete that um, might not be the receiver that Ed Hinkle was back in the day, but <laughs> definitely that versatile player that can kind of fit in different spots on the offense. Those are two guys you may see on the uh, offensive side. Um, just purely speculation on my part. Zero inside information regarding anything <laughs> Iowa football related is a probably an important disclaimer to those listening to the podcast. Um, um, but I'd say those two guys are very likely to see the field. And Henry Guile, he's a running back from Green Bay, Wisconsin. So um, you know, if depth, if depth is an issue at running back, he could be he could be a heavily relied on on player early on. Absolutely, Bill. Do you see anybody out there that would stand or? You know, just from the past recruiting classes that might stand out in your eye? I, I mentioned it before. I'm still I'm all in on Brandon Smith. He's a sophomore, six catches last year, so essentially, you know, didn't do anything really. I just think the ceiling's really high with him. He's the type of receiver Iowa doesn't usually get, and I have high hopes for him, and I hope it, I hope he has a good season. Well, I think, uh, you know, now... Hey, one more on, on the true freshman kit. Yep. Defensive side of the ball. Bill mentioned DJ Johnson. He'll, he's going to be playing, special teams at least. Um, maybe they'll work him in on some nickel and dime packages. Uh, Jaden McDonald, he's an athletic linebacker with some pretty impressive film. Another Georgia guy they pulled up from the southeast. Um, wouldn't be surprised to see him. Dylan Doyle from... Uh, he's Chris Doyle, the strength and conditioning coach's... Uh, son um, wouldn't be surprised if those guys get some action on special teams and a st louis safety dallas craddock um safety with brandon snyder leaving maybe need to fill a void in the two deeps craddock comes in makes some contributions great great uh so would bill you... do i hear ella in the background <laughs> you do she's I don't know what she's doing, but she's squealing over there. Hey, she's excited, excited for Hawkeye football. Pumped she's the excited podcast. for Hawkeye. Yeah, she. her very first Hawkeye football game was when Iowa beat Ohio State. All right. So that was pretty cool. So she's good luck is what you're saying. I think so. Should be a good year. Good. So ultimately, kind of wanted to move into some season prediction, kind of go game by game and – and and see what your guys' thoughts are. You know, mm-hmm. t- maybe one key to the game that you think is really going to, you know, uh, take each game for the Hawkeyes. So you know, the first game they start off with Northern Illinois at home. Huskies. Yep. Uh, coming over from DeKalb, Illinois. Exactly. Uh, ultimately, I I mark this down as a win for the Hawkeyes myself. You know. I, I think a big key to the game is I, the Hawkeyes' offense is just going to be too strong for a MAC defense. Uh, just going to take over. So I, I listed the the, uh, the Hawkeyes winning this one. Uh, what would you go with, Rob? Oh, yeah, it's definitely a win. You know my love for the MAC. However, <laughs> they can't hang with um, this, this Iowa team, so – this should be a pretty easy win for the Hawks and get the fans fired up for the season. Jeff? Yeah, Rob, you do you, you do love your Maxson. I do. He just wishes I this would ga- also I would say he just I wishes this game was this on a, a Tuesday night. <laughs> hey, don't hate on Maxson in November. Tuesday night football is the best. Sorry, go ahead, <laughs> Jeff. Uh, I'll, I'll mark this one down as a W as well. Kirk Ferentz gets win number 144, passes Hayden Fry on the all-time Iowa wins yeah. list. Yep. 
And Bill? Uh, w. Uh, Northern Illinois, I can't remember his name. They've got a defensive end that they think will be drafted first or second round this year. So, you know, that's a good good defensive player to challenge a, a relatively new offensive line, especially with Werfs out. But I think Iowa comes away with the win. Yeah, I like I said, I think their offense this year is way ahead, like Jeff said, way ahead than – previous years so i think their offense is really just going to dominate the mac defense so now uh the second week we're going to move into the rivalry game the the cyhawk game and i know you hawkeye fans probably aren't going to agree with my uh my agreement but i am going to take the cyclones beating the hawkeyes and i had a score of 41 to 38 it's a real close game and i i think the uh, the key to this matchup is Iowa's linebackers versus Iowa State's running backs and slot receivers. I know Iowa doesn't go to you know nickel and dime as much, and I think that could be a key matchup. What What's your thoughts, Rob? Oh, man, you're going to put me on the spot. Yep. So I've been going back and forth on this because I think it's going to be a tight game regardless because I, I think overall this is two of the – best teams that we both of our schools have had at the same time you know one team might be better or the other team so since it's in it's in kinnick i have us losing by three so you're going with i'm gonna go with the hawks going with the hawks i know beetle's gonna hate me but i'm gonna do it (laughs) jeff yeah this game always makes me nervous um it's either a seems like past years last year is the exception it's either a convincing iowa win or a narrow iowa state win but uh obviously i have to give the edge to the hawkeyes um the kinnick the kinnick stadium advantage is uh it hasn't well last two years ago it worked but there was this trend there for a while where the road team was always winning iowa um, ended that end that streak two years ago but yeah it's kind of reverse reverse thinking how you would expect the road team to be at a disadvantage but it's going to be a tight game yeah iowa state's iowa state's going to be able to score points on iowa it's september football with iowa is always a little nerve-wracking you need a few things to go their way and um yeah i have confidence in in my team so uh, i'll mark it down as a w Good. william uh i i think that it's going to be a really really good game i david montgomery is one of the best running backs in the nation no doubt he is going to have a good game against Iowa's, you know, aside from the defensive line, young defense. And Iowa State seems to get the big, athletic, Hakeem Butler-style receivers that can go up and make plays even when Kyle Kemp doesn't put the ball right on the numbers. And I think they're going to give Iowa's D-backs problems. Um, around here, talking with friends at the golf course or whatever, it's always – can Iowa's defense stop Iowa State's offense? But then, on the same token, you got to look at can Iowa State defense stop Iowa's offense? It's going to be yeah, a high-scoring game this year. Yeah, yeah like I think I year. think Kinnick Stadium's the edge, close game. But I'm going to take Iowa. Gotcha. I'm not, I'm the only one out on the limb, I guess here. <laughs> well, it's not on the limb. Like I think we all agree it's going to be, you know, a tight game. I just, you know, I was trying to take my actual fandom and put it to the side and just look at it you know overall with you know home field advantage and that sort of thing so no but i'll probably still get crap from my iowa state fans uh the folks in the desert 
they had Iowa as a two and a half point favorite. So yeah. that's yeah. a tight spread. So Iowa yeah. fans and you, and you take bet away, the money line. And you take away Kinnick, and that's that's Tony. That's those Iowa team State are, about by a half. Is yeah. home yeah. field's usually three. So yeah. Yeah. pretty even teams. That yeah. tells you it's very even. So uh, the next week uh, they follow up with the uh, Purple Hawks of the UNI <laughs> Panthers. <laughs> Uh, oh man! I got this one as a win. I think uh, the Hawks take a comfortable lead, and Kirk just to be nice shuts it down, and they win by about fifteen points. Uh, <laughs> he he doesn't like to run it up on old Farley there in uh, Cedar Falls. <laughs> no, he doesn't. Um. Uh. Yeah. I mean, it's it should be an easy win. You uh, and I does have some good players uh, on defense. They have a linebacker by the name of Ricky Neal Jr. who. Um, should be an all-conference player. Um, their quarterback's actually pretty good, Eli Dunn. Um, he's a big body. He's like 6'5". Um, and I think they got a running back uh, back that previously had played a lot, but he was hurt last year. So um, They're going to come to play, though. I mean, and as we know as Iowa State fans, these guys always show up. So, so It's a in-state it might, game. Yeah, it might be tight for a while, but Iowa should pull away. And uh, yeah, like you said, Kirk's not going to put the hammer down, but they should win comfortably. Jeff, give me the Hawks. It's Northern Iowa. They're blowing them out. Blowout. William, <laughs> uh, I Iowa again. I think it's uh, same. You know, same deal with Iowa State. It's the kids that wanted to go to Iowa, wanted to go to Iowa State, feel slighted that they didn't get offered by the two Power Five teams in Iowa. But there's just too much talent on the Hawkeyes' side. The only scary thing is that you've got Wisconsin the following week. Yep. Possible trap game, but I don't think so. Yep, understandable. And and like Will, uh, Bill said there, the next week is Wisconsin. Um, Wisconsin's probably the, the Big West 10 favorite right now with what they're returning. So, you know, I actually will mark this down as a loss for the Hawkeyes. I think Wisconsin's offense might even be improved and the Iowa's defense could be down. So, you know, Hawkeye offense is improved, but, you know, I still think Wisconsin just might be too tough for the Hawkeyes. And I think it'll be a typical Big Ten football game, you know, between Wisconsin and Iowa. It's going to be more of a, you know, punch them in the mouth, run the football. You know, it's going to turn into like a 21-17 game is kind of what I marked it down. What's your thoughts, Rob? Yeah, I mean, Wisconsin's my pick for the West this year. I mean, they are absolutely loaded. Um, They bring back a now sophomore running back that was the best freshman running back in the country last year. Alex Honerybrook, their quarterback, um, he was up and down during the year, but he balled out in their bowl game against Miami. Um, they, d- they did lose some defenders, but they seem to always just load up on that side of the ball. And they might have the best offensive line in the country. So this is going to be a tough one for the Hawks. So I have it as a loss as well. Jeff? All right. So we haven't had much luck against the Badgers the past couple seasons. I think they've won five out of the last six. But we had a good run when Barry Alvarez was the head coach. 2002 to 2005, beat Wisconsin every year. The Hawks need to get back to that. Now, Wisconsin brings a lot of people back, a lot of weapons. The game's in Kinnick. This game has been circled on the coaching staff's calendar since last year's beatdown. They want some revenge. They know the road to Indianapolis 
goes through Wisconsin. Hawks pull off the upset. 4-0. Oh, 4-0. Nice. William? Uh, like Jeff said, and Rob alluded to, the Big Ten West title goes through Madison. Uh, they're really, really good. And Iowa typically gets better as the season goes on. I don't know if they have it you know, all put together this early in the season to play a team like of Wisconsin's caliber. It's going to be in Iowa City. It's shaping up to be a night game, which at Kinnick, always special. Anything can happen. But realistically, I think Wisconsin wins this one. Gotcha. Put the first L on the board there. for Will. And I think if it was later in the season – that would help the Hawks, like you alluded to, Bill. But with it being their first conference game, this is just this is tough. Yep. the The following week, they go on and buy. They got their off week, and then it's followed up with their first road game of the season in in week six. Uh, <laughs> That's nuts. Yeah, a lot of home games for the Hawks <laughs> this year to start out with. Uh, they go up and play the uh, Minnesota, uh, Minnesota Fighting PJ Flex up in <laughs> Minneapolis. The Golden Golfers. Yep. But both teams coming off bye weeks, I thought. Um, I think this one might be surprising to you guys, but I actually have Minnesota winning by one point because I think <laughs> I think the, the Hawkeyes are going to pour their heart and soul into the Wisconsin game and – they're not going to be ready a couple weeks later after that loss. So I actually have Minnesota winning by one point. No, Minnesota's <laughs> terrible. All right. So, you know, PJ Fleck, I think eventually will have some sort of success in Minnesota, even though I don't agree with some of the things he does. Um, he does know how to recruit and stuff. So they don't have a quarterback for one. And really their only offensive guy I think that's worth a crap is Rodney Smith, who's a running back. I I mean, it's a road game, but, I mean, they don't have any fans show up. I, the Hawks win this one. Easy. Jeffrey? I like what you're, uh, I like what you're saying there, Rob. <laughs> I also have this as a W. P.J. Flex all smoke and mirrors in my book. This season's the beginning of the end for him. Hawks, they won't win by a lot, but road game, they'll find a way. Bill? Uh, first road game, but it's at Kinnick North, so it's only kind of a half away game. I uh, hate P.J. Fleck, super annoying. Iowa wins big. Big. Okay. Following week, they, they, they travel to their second away game, which is at Indiana. Um. Indiana, yeah, I I got this as a win for the Hawk. Iowa takes it over. Indi- Indiana's bad. They might have a few a, a few offensive plays to put some points on the board, but I got Hawks winning by more than twenty. So that put the W on the board for the yeah. Hawks on this one. I uh, yeah, the Hawks should win this one going away. I I hope it's not one of you know. In the in Kirk's era, I feel like there's always that that road game against a team that's not very good that they struggle. You mean Minnesota the yeah. week before, Rob? <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> I don't know. Like they always play good against Minnesota for the most part. So Indiana could be that, but they should win. So I'm not that worried about it. Uh, go ahead, Jeff. 
Yeah, they've had some scary moments in Bloomington, but uh, like you said, Indiana's not very good. Chalk up another victory for Iowa. They become bowl eligible, six and zero, beating Indiana on the road. What are they, what are they ranked in your book at this point, Jeff? Fifth? They, they beat Wisconsin. The top they're, 10. Yeah, they're easy top ten. Okay, I just wanted to check because Wisconsin will be what top five preseason? Top ten for sure. Yeah, I think yeah. they're in the top ten. Yeah, the seventh or eighth. Yeah, Bill. Uh, Indiana, they have some athletes on the edges that they're just seem to always be kind of undisciplined and might put up a fight for a quarter or two, and then Iowa takes over uh, W in Bloomington. In Bloomington, the next week uh, the Hawkeyes uh, take bring their talents back to uh, Kinnick Stadium, and they'll be facing against the Terps from Maryland. Um. I think this is the typical uh, trap game before they head out to Happy Valley. Yeah, they got Penn State the next week. Next week. So I'm actually giving this one a loss for the Hawkeyes. Close game. They lose by six points. Um, I just think the Terps are kind of that team in the Big Ten East that nobody's thinking about. Uh, You know, I don't think they're going to win the Big Ten East, but it's kind of the – the hidden gem of the East, and I think the Hawkeyes just struggle this game. So this is that the one trap game that I think is really going to hurt them. Wait, did you just say Maryland is the hidden gem of the East? Well, right now I think so. I'm just saying they're going to have some talent coming out of Maryland this year. They're really, really hidden. (laughs) Yep. You just made all the Terrapin fans that listen to this podcast very excited. Yeah, well done. We're going to have to call uh, SVP and let him know that you're really high on uh, Maryland football. I, I am. <laughs> I like some DJ Durkin. DJ Durkin, yeah. Uh, I, uh, In a sense, I actually do agree with you, Kit. I think this is the stereotypical trap game because you do have that huge road game on at Penn State the very next week. So I still think it's a win because they are not the gym of the East or whatever the hell you just said. However, it's going to be closer the, the than hit, the hidden gem. Hidden not gem, just yeah. Gem. Excuse me, and <laughs> I think it'll be closer than people will like because I think they'll have struggles in this game at home because they're looking ahead to Penn State, especially if somehow they're undefeated, like Jeff said. Um, but it's a W. What do you think, uh, Bill? Um, I think it's a W in Kinnick. Like you guys have said, definite trap game potential. If it was at Maryland, then it would be big-time trap game potential. But being since it's in Iowa City, I think that uh, that's enough for Iowa to come away with a win. Jeffrey? Yeah, kid, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to tally up our wins and losses, and there's a bit of a disparity between your uh, season predictions and my season predictions. <laughs> but I will, uh, I bet we'll I will match say later Mar- on Maryland is no gem. <laughs> so you have the Hawkeyes winning then, huh? Oh yeah, yeah. They get they get win number seven at home. Seven and zero. D- DJ Durkin's a Harbaugh guy, and Harbaugh hasn't really had that much success at the college level. So um, yeah, Michigan fans can grill me for that, but it's true. It is um, true. He should go back to the NFL. So, like we mentioned, the next week they go to Happy Valley to face the the Penn State Nittany Lions. Um, I have this as a loss for the Hawkeyes. Um, 
it's it's going to be close. I think this is the the typical Kirk Ferentz game where he's going to play more clock control, uh, run the football, and be you know be willing to take that four point loss. Uh, so that's what I have him losing in Happy Valleys by four points. Uh, Rob, what would you say about this game? Yeah, so I actually have this as a loss too. Um, even though Penn State lost all-world running back Saquon Barkley, um, I think they're just a very talented team. And playing in Happy Valley is just—it's always hard. You know, it's one of the biggest state stadiums in the country, and I think they have their second loss on the season at Penn State. So, Jeff, what do you think? You know, if I were to pick pick Iowa to lose a game, this would be the game. They're going to be playing in a tough environment against a uh, yeah a solid team in Penn State, but Noah Fant goes off three touchdowns in Happy Valley. They get win number eight and they upset Penn State, move into the top four of the college eight, no. football rankings. <laughs> okay, Bill. Um. I think that Penn State is not going to be as good as last year. Saquon Barkley's gone. That tight end, Mike Gusecki's gone. Lost some skill position talent. Uh, the quarterback, Trace McSorley, he's back. He's a playmaker. In Happy Valley, you know, a couple potential one or, in Jeff's case, zero lost teams. Could be a night game. You never know what can happen, but it's at Happy Valley. If it's in Kinnick, maybe it goes the other way, but I think Penn State wins this. Gotcha. Got some mixed opinions on that game. <laughs> the next week, uh, they travel to West Lafayette to face the Purdue Boilermakers. Um, this one, I do have a win for the Hawkeyes. I think they want revenge. After They're not the hidden gem of the West? No. Well, <laughs> I, I could call them a hidden gem. Okay. I mean, not enough to beat the Hawkeyes in this game. Hey, but, Purdue's got a good coach kit. Exactly. They do. Um. So Hawkeyes just want revenge after some offensive struggles in 2017, only scoring basically nine points for four quarters before they got a late touchdown. Uh, they 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 want to take it to Purdue. So I got the Hawkeyes winning by about 14 in this game. So um, as Jeff alluded to, I'm I'm a big fan of uh, Coach Brom, um, but as you alluded to, kid, the Hawks struggled to score points. Uh, Purdue had a very underrated defense last year, but they lost actually a lot of guys from that. So I think the Hawks roll away with this one on the road. Big W. Jeffrey? Yeah, I'm I'm, uh, I'm also going to pick this one as a W, um, much, to, um, much to your surprise. It's a road game. I'm just trying to think of how they're going to win. I'm trying to visualize that in my head right now. And it's going to be a big day for the special teams. We're going to have a punt return touchdown, and the Hawks are going to roll in the second half. Win easily, nine and zero. Nine and zero. Bill. Oh, we might have lost him. No, he's he's talking. Are you on? Oh, mute? Had, nope. Yep, I had you muted. Okay. Hi, hi. This game for me is going to be the stereotypical happens every year Kirk Ferentz why did this why did you lose this game coming off a hard fought game at Penn State 
which was a loss in my my prediction. I was a little out of sorts, not prepared, not mentally in it. Road game in a high school stadium that's half full. <laughs> Purdue's not terrible. Uh, I've got Iowa losing this one. So what's your record you have so far, Bill? Is that I've got six and three after the Purdue three. game. Okay. Okay, so the next week uh, they come back to Kinnick to face the Northwestern. Um, I have this as a victory for the Hawkeyes. Uh, I do think Northwestern could be that team in the West that's either boom or bust. Um, I think they could contend for a Big Ten West title if if everything's clicking for them, but I could also see them being a 4-8 and eight team. Um, I just – not much I know about Northwestern to really, you know, call it either way, but I just feel like they have some talent coming out of – you know, Evingston there. So, but I do have it a victory for the Hawks and a six point win. So I actually have this as a loss. Um, I know Jeff and I have talked about this, but for some reason, the Hawkeyes always struggle with Northwestern. It just, I don't know. It's just a, a thing that happens. And this Northwestern team is, I have as a sleeper for the West. I think Wisconsin wins it, but I think Northwestern could. Um, they have a quarterback by the name of Clayton Thorson's that's going to be a future pro. And, you know, Pat Fitzgerald is just a great coach. And even though this is at home, I think this is a loss for the Hawks. So what do you think, Bill? I think that this game is going to be tough coming off of two losses. Iowa, like you said, always plays Northwestern tough or Northwestern plays Iowa tough. It's a good game. Pat Fitzgerald hates Iowa after, uh, I think it was 1995, playing for Northwestern, broke his leg against Iowa, holds that against Iowa to this day. So it's a game he's had marked on his calendar, you know, since last year. And I think in Kinnick Stadium, um, Northwestern probably a little bit down from last year. Iowa bounces back and wins this one. Jeffrey? So... Um, I have this one as a win, much to your uh, surprise again. It's at home, and if we uh, go back to when we were breaking down the positional groups, I said Iowa football is going to start clicking in November, and that's exactly what's going to happen. Chicago native Ivory Kelly Martin has a big day. Iowa wins 35 to – we'll go 35 to 10. Big big win 10 for and the Hawks. 10 and 0. Yeah. Man. Next week, they uh, traveled to Illinois. Uh, Lovey doesn't have them ready in Illinois. I got the Hawks winning big in this one. Still not enough talent in Illinois. Too young to contend for any any kind of wins there in, in Illinois. So I got the Hawks winning by about 30 in this one. Oh, man. Illinois is so bad. Like, Lovey doesn't give a shit about coaching football right now. They I mean, just, they should still let Rutgers in Illinois play every week to <laughs> try to get so wins. bad. And they should be a lot better. I mean, you should be able to recruit to that school. I mean, it's it's actually a pretty good academic school. Um, and they do have some history back in the day, but Iowa should, should just absolutely cruise in this. So I got it as a win. What do you think, Jeff? Win. <laughs> just just win, baby, huh? <laughs> it's like Al Davis said. Yep. 
Uh, Bill? Might be on mute again. Yeah, on mute. No, I'm not on mute. Nope. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can. There you are. Okay. Uh, like you said, Rob, uh, Lovey Smith's cash and checks, and that's about <laughs> it. Yeah. Iowa went. Perfect. Now, now the last game of the year before any bowl games, we go. The Hawkeyes come to Kinnick, or I'm sorry, the Cornhuskers come to Kinnick uh, to face the Hawkeyes. Uh, I got this as a win for the Hawks, about an eight-point win. Uh, I really see this Husker team kind of similar to the the 2016 uh, Cyclone team. Very, very competitive in games, very close. They're going to lose probably seven to eight games, but they're going to be uh, – they're going to be competitive in them for at least three quarters. But I still don't think the Huskers pull it out. And I got the Hawkeyes winning this one to finish the season 7-5 uh, and five for the Hawkeyes before their bowl game. Yeah, uh, I actually will reiterate uh, what you just said, Mike. I think, you know, hiring Scott Frost, I think, you know, compared to Mike Riley, they're going to be so much more competitive. Um, they're not going to win a whole lot of games this year, just – he doesn't have his guys yet, but when he does, I think they'll start contending again. Um, so the Hawkeyes should win. I would say, I don't know, 10 points, maybe 14. Um, and I have them finishing 9-3. and three, So that's where I got. Jeffrey? Yeah, this is a big game for the Hawks, right? They're 11-0 and 0 according to my predictions. So <laughs> what do you think I'm going to say? They're going 12 and 0, baby. And I, one, one thing, seriously though, about uh, Scott Frost is I, I think that uh, I think that he's going to turn Nebraska around. That's a good hire. He's going to reignite some um, some energy into that program, and that's going to be a good rivalry for the Hawks, the Nebraska Iowa rivalry going forward. But this is Iowa's year. I just uh, I don't know how it worked out, but I uh, I picked him to go 12 and 0, and I fully support taking my predictions to the bank. <laughs> and wagering on those predictions. Uh, Jeff, you do realize we're talking about a Hawkeye prediction, not the Alabama and Crimson Tide prediction, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, every team loses a game, right? So I, I may uh, I may eat some uh, eat some crow okay. later, but um, hey, I'll just throw it out there. Twelve and zero, you know. baby, lock it up. <laughs> what do you think, Bill? I think, like you guys have said, Scott Frost is a great hire for Nebraska. He's going to turn things around, get him back on the map, so to speak. Uh, this is both Iowa and Nebraska's last game of the year. Uh, Scott Frost will have him playing as good as they'll probably play all year. I just don't think it's enough, especially in Kinnick Stadium, Black Friday, uh, all that stuff. Uh, Iowa with the win here. And what do you have him finishing on the season? I've got him 9-3, and three, just like Rob. Yep. 9-3. and three. Awesome. Where does that put him for? Uh, does that put him in the Big Ten title game, or well, that put West? That put uh, Wisconsin still. In Wisconsin there? actually has a pretty tough schedule if you look at it. So that early Wisconsin game could be what decides it, which is crazy when it's happening in what September. Yep. So I don't know. I mean, I still think Wisconsin wins it, and like I said, Northwestern, I think is potentially i mean they they won what 10 games last year and nobody talked about it like so they rattled off 10 wins I yeah think, too yeah so but yeah I, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be the true 
test of a season. You got some you got some position groups that are questionable that are really going to have to step up to 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 produce 10 or 12 wins like Jeff's predicting. So <laughs> Yeah, the uh the folks in the desert, I'm just looking up the uh over under regular season wins um for NCAA teams and uh Vegas has them at seven and a half. So there's quite a disparity between my predictions and the uh <laughs> the lines makers in, in Las Vegas. Kit's so looking pretty one good. One of us is going to be wrong. I think I'm the only so one yeah, that's covering seven and the under. Seven and a half though. in Vegas. And then ESPN, if you look at the, the win projection or result, the percentage chance to win yeah. or whatever, uh, ESPN has Iowa 10 and 2. All over the board. Yep. Yeah. So not, you know nobody really knows. They don't have yeah. a good beat on Iowa this year, <laughs> I guess. Awesome. So, yeah, that's kind of why I went with 12 and 0. Hey, you know they could easily go seven and five, and I could just be way off. But hey, these are preseason predictions, and I'm a homer. So what the hell, Jeff? You know, if they go twelve and zero, you look like a genius. So I will look like a genius, and (laughs) I hope I've contributed to the increased viewership of your uh, your podcast by being very. Um, being very spot on with my uh, yeah exactly my, my bullish call and then and then you should have actually locked it up in Vegas for all those picks if they actually go twelve and zero too exactly okay. um, that's what you got to do so I had a quick question for you guys I know what Kit's gonna say but so as um, some of you knew no I I actually grew up a Hawkeye fan so I I watched a lot of Hawkeye football growing up before. I became a turncoat and went to, uh, as Jeff would call it, the dark side of uh, the being right, a cycling the right, fan. The yeah. right side, Rob. You're wrong. <laughs> so I wanted to ask uh, you two, who is your favorite Hawkeye football player of all time? Your regular Anakin Skywalker, by the way, going <laughs> over to the dark side, if I can work in a Star Wars reference here. Yeah. What was, what was the question again, Rob? Sorry. Uh, who, who's your favorite Hawkeye football player of all time, if you had to choose one? Oh, this is an easy one for me. And Nick Bruin, if you're listening to the podcast, take your guess now. Text <laughs> it to me. I think you'll get it right. Ed Hinkle. Oh, yeah. Favorite Hawkeye of all time. He's from Erie, Pennsylvania. Came in, same high school as Bob Sanders. That would be the typical pick, but I'm a bit of a contrarian when it comes to uh, favorite Hawks. Um, Loved Hinkle. Solid receiver. Ran good routes. Good hands. Key member of the early success of the Kirk Ferentz era was Ed Hinkle. He played all four years. Had a heck of a game in 2002 against against Penn State. Is that the one-handed catch? Yeah, yeah, diving, catching yep. the end zone. All right. What Bill? about you, Bill? Uh, I'm just trying to th- – I'm glad Jeff went first. It gave me a little time to think about <laughs> it. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of great players throughout the history and even our lifetime the last 30 years for all of us. Uh, Tim Dwight, Tavian Banks, Bob Sanders, Ed Hinkle, a lot of good names out there, Chad Greenway. But I'm going to have to go with a guy that I talked about a little bit earlier – he was there when I was, Ricky Stanzi. He just had like great a, American a confidence. You know, like he had the long hair, the swagger that when he when he was under center, you were never worried. He threw an interception every game every game. Not a big deal. He knew it was gonna happen. He'd come back, you know, fighting and leading the team and and 
that's why it was such a huge blow when he got hurt because everybody knew he was the unquestioned leader of that team. They're a really good team. I got to go with Stanzi. I, uh, yeah, that's a good one. So I should give a shout out also to, uh, the defensive side of the ball. Um, Micah Hyde, another one of my favorite players currently in the NFL playing for my favorite NFL team, the Buffalo Bills. So shout out to you, Micah. You got it. Um, this might actually surprise both of you, but the one I was going to pick is one of the first Hawkeyes I remember actually watching on TV. Uh, a running back by the name of Cedric Shaw, number five. Yeah. Um, Played for the Patriots. Yeah. Uh, he was a, a draft pick in 97. He, uh, one of my first, like, Hawkeye memories of watching him run the football is in those stupid winged jerseys that they wore. <laughs> the banana peels. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> but I believe he's still the career rushing leader at Iowa, right? He. You are correct. Yeah. He is. Um, so. He played with Tim Dwight in the um, the mid '90s. So Tim yeah. Dwight was also uh, sporting the the banana peel jerseys. <laughs> yeah. So you know, and they had this run of running backs where they went from Cedric Shaw to Tavian Banks, and both those guys were absolute studs. So Liddell Betts after that. Yep. And Liddell Betts. So it's uh, kind of amazing. But I just wanted to talk about that because it kind of gave me. Um, some fond memories from my childhood that I don't really think about very often since as you so lovingly put it, Jeff, that I'm Anakin Skywalker now. So, <laughs> Well, we don't really think about the Hayden Fry era as much as we should because we're younger and more yeah. of our memories are from the Kirk Ferentz Hawkeyes. But uh, yeah. yeah, Hayden, there's a whole other generation of um, 20 years of good Hawk moments uh, with Hayden who turned the whole program around and, uh, Yes, Cedric was uh Cedric was one of the one of the stars of the nineties, no doubt. <laughs> so go ahead, Kit. My favorite Hawkeye? No, we we know you're gonna say Don Abel, so <laughs> yeah, don't don't worry about it. He chose the Cyclones first. Uh <laughs> so I know a lot of times uh in Kit's corner we like to have a random fact. Jeff, did you have a random fact you like to bring up this oh, week? Oh yeah. Oh, I already gave it. You gave it was it. that okay. draft pick fact. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So you gave it as part of the Hawkeye thing. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, but my random kit fact this week is a little history for you. And I want to see if Rob actually knew about this history. He texted me earlier to get me amped for it. So, do you, well, you, this, is, this is a history themed podcast. Exactly. <laughs> do you know what the honey war is, Rob? The what? The honey war. Honey war. Um, not off the top of my head, you no. You don't. It's actually Iowa history. Ooh. My grandma the, would be pumped about this. The There was a border dispute between the, uh, the state of Iowa and the state of Missouri. Oh, I think I... I think I kind of vaguely know about over two hundred or two thousand six hundred acres, and the lines didn't meet across the middle in the ninth in the eighteen thirties. So basically, a Missouri tax collector came around to the citizens around the the border dispute, and was collecting tax in the state of Iowa. And an Iowa sheriff arrested him, which actually involved uh, militia volunteers, uh, basically at the border, willing to. Uh, start shooting each other until the federal government stepped in back in the 1830s. So 
you didn't know that it was called the 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 honey war but it was basically because there was a bunch of corpse trees with a lot of honeybees along the the state line so it was actually called the honey war i did no i did not uh know that yeah see this is why we have you here mike Random nope. Iowa facts for you today. Did you guys? I'm like- gonna have to fact check that one. It seems made up, but you are a beekeeper, beekeeping enthusiast that knows yes. a lot about honey. So I'll trust your uh, fact there. Kit. This is true. Kit does love beekeeping. So I just wanted to, you know, have a great Kit fact for you this yeah, week. Yeah, I, I want to stump you on some uh, history. Right? Yeah, well, um, you did, so I Good. appreciate that. Good. I really like the one from a couple episodes ago where you talked about a real giant penguin. That was an interesting fact, too. <laughs> it, it was a human-sized penguin. I, I think it's still hard to top the first one because we had pigs per person, which is an all-time unit of measurement. Exactly. I'll, so. I'll, keep, I'll keep bringing you random kit facts that are going to keep blowing everybody's <laughs> mind. Oh, man. So It's like the dessert of the podcast. We go through all of this talk about the Hawkeyes and the Cyclone fans are fast forward into the, uh, the, kit fact. the part where Kit brings up the Kit fact. Exactly. I'll have to <laughs> the honey war. Yep. I'll have to post on there exactly when that starts so they can listen to the last three minutes. So. Yeah. Hey, it still counts for a download for us, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so do you have – either of you have uh, any parting words that you want to put on here? Anything else you want to say before we wrap up, Jeff? Uh, um, I don't know. We've covered a lot of ground, Hawkeye, Hawkeye-related ground. I will say this was a good podcast to cover the Hawks. Um, once again, full disclaimer: I know, I know, I just know the basics about Hawkeye football. I'm not an insider. I don't study formations and all of that. I'm just a fan who tunes in and listens to the games on the radio or watches them on TV. And actually, I do like listening to the radio and listening to Podolak and Dolphin talk. I'm, you know, Podolak, he's a fan and he's biased. And so oftentimes, Bill and I, we're in the cornfields of western Iowa and we can't catch the game. So we listen to it on the radio and you get a different perspective, granted a very biased perspective. And <laughs> I like in the in the you know as gary dolphin gets older the perspective you don't always know what's going on in the game (laughs) very true (laughs) i love though when ed gets mad at the officials for some pass interference call that he didn't think was pass interference and the opposing teams driving into iowa's red zone and he's griping about it then three plays later gary dolphin will chime in and say well this uh this drive iowa's defense is holding up despite some questionable officiating at best. <laughs> and I'm mad because Podolak's mad, and he knows football. And he's, uh, he's openly biased, but he has this um, genuine enthusiasm. And if you listen to some of the great Hawkeye calls, you'll listen to Ed under his breath shouting out yes or touchdown at the end of the game. And it, it gets you excited about Hawkeye football. And, uh, um, you know, definitely, uh, definitely a big Podolak fan. Um, and... Uh, Hope he keeps. Uh, hope he keeps broadcasting into the future. Tr- trust me, Jeff. Every every team's got that paid by Learfield, but they're paid by the university. And oh yeah. I you, trust me. Walters and Heff are the same way. Same way. way. So <laughs> you'll you'll have it you'll have it that way. But it's 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 nice to have that 
that perspective from the radio of you have an insider that's in there rooting for your team, even though they're giving you media information. It's, it is yeah. great. Yeah. As much as I love the Kevin Kugler, Matt Millen TV broadcast, there's nothing that beats <laughs> the radio homers like Podolak and Ed. What about your girl, uh, Beth Moens? <laughs> 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 sounds, I sounds like a no comment, Rob. Eleven o'clock game. Oh, when you're playing Illinois, that's going to be your yep. uh, TV yep. announcer. <laughs> God, what about you, Bill? Uh, it's just a great time of year. Football's coming. The fall season's coming. The weather's cooling off. I think both Iowa and Iowa State are going to have good years. Maybe not great, but really fun. Good, fun to watch. Uh, it's going to be a good year. Yeah, I agree. Anything from you, Mike? Nope, I'm good. I got my kit fact in for the day, so I'm happy. <laughs> you're you're already checked out. So, all right, guys. Well, I I really appreciate you both coming on. Um, I think we did a very good job of covering Hawkeye stuff without too much bias from Mike here. So, I uh, I'm the one that didn't get him in the national title game here. Yeah, that's, that's just, true. Just a slight bias from me. <laughs> hey, I, we never predicted the uh, Indianapolis championship game, so we're just going to leave that one hanging until December, and we'll <laughs> we'll cross that bridge when we get yeah, there. Yeah, I mean, but, uh, we can we can do more stuff. Well, I think oh. Jeff, you're the only one that had him in Indianapolis, so it'd be your prediction, right? Well, oh. I didn't predict Wisconsin schedule, so I don't know. Uh, me, or, uh, Bill, or I, so. You'll have so to do nine and three could get him in later in August for all your Badger <laughs> listeners. <laughs> After uh, the seasons happen. All right. So, <laughs> well, well, thanks for having us on. Yeah, thanks yeah. a lot. This is a lot of fun. You bet. Yep, so, yep. for Mike and myself, um, thanks for tuning in, and we'll catch you on the next. Welcome to the bo- Dog Pound Podcast. Oh. If you've ever been here, you know what I'm talking yeah. about. Uh-huh. Where people don't dance, all they do is yeah. this. Uh-huh. And after the this original, you know what it is. Welcome to remix. It had to go down. I got something else to tell you about the new Motown. Oh, Where people don't visit, they move out here. And ain't no telling who you might see up in Lenox Square. I don't know about you, but I miss the freak Nick. Because that's when my city used to be real sick. People from other cities used to drive for miles just to come and get a taste of this ATL. I'm the MVP, most ballin' player Make my own moves, call me the mayor Monday night, you know things change with time Magic City back looking like 89 All my homies on the south side up in the Ritz Tuesday night, the Velvet Room, same shit Wednesday, strokers, I don't go no more Cause they don't know how to treat you when you come through the door Thursday night, was pushed, but we moved the fuel And I be up in the booth, drunk, acting the fool Friday night, at Kaya, they still got love And the shark bar be popping like it's a night Club. Saturday still off the easy for she's it. You can find me up in one tweezy Sunday. Didn't need some sleep, please. I'm on my way to the deck to hit jazz and tease. Holla. Hey, yo, I'm from New York, man. Representing NYC to the front.